If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! very passionate about helping kids with ERE. Welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and that's Laura Moore talking about gastroenterologist Dr. James Franciosi. He is the division chief for pediatric gastroenterology at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. If his name sounds familiar or hers, you may recall Dr. Franciosi is a key member of the care team for Laura's 18-year-old son, Will. At age 13, Will was diagnosed with eosinophil esophagitis, also known as EOE. Here's Will describing what that is when he and Laura appeared on the podcast in November 2021. What it is is an inflammatory response to some stimuli, usually food. And what happens is when you, you know, you eat one of these triggers, you get an inflammatory response from white blood cells called eosinophils that are, you know, natural to have in your body, but not necessarily in your esophagus. And what happens is over time, if you continue eating that food, they will build up and eventually just close off your esophagus. A chronic condition that Will shares with his younger brother, Charlie, both of whom have been under the care of Dr. Franciosi since before he arrived at Nemours in 2012. But I'm getting ahead of the story here. Let's go back in Dr. Franciosi's history and find out what inspired him to take up medicine as a career. Here's Dr. James Franciosi. I grew up in a medical household. So my father was a physician and in pediatrics, and my mom is a psychologist. And so my sister is actually a, a physical therapist as well. But for the longest time, I was like, nope, I'm going to be a professional hockey player up north. And that was, you know, what I was going to do. And eventually, as I came to be in college, I started to really, you know, enjoy the life sciences and medicine just really seemed like the best fit for me. Why gastroenterology? Ah, good question. I I think as you go around medicine and, you know, in your training and so forth, uh, you tend to gravitate to various fields. And the GI tract is so important. What we drink and eat and and how uh, we interact with our environment is so related to our GI tract. And the GI tract has a lot of important conditions that we treat that have a lot of variety and interest. And then for children, it's just a wonderful environment to see you know, little ones who are just being born and then developing and then growing up and to have the opportunity to make them as happy and healthy, you know, as we possibly can with uh, the challenges that they face. Now, I have three adult children. We had our share of stomach flus and viruses, but we never had anything that was was chronic. So I'm wondering in the pediatric world, what are some of the common issues that are faced by kids 18 or younger in terms Mm -hmm. of the gastrointestinal tract? abdominal pain, 
is a very common thing. Having issues with reflux or food coming up in the esophagus, and then having issues with bowels or constipation. Those are very common things. Lactose intolerance is very, very uncommon. The less common things become part of our practice as we're treating children throughout their lifetime uh, are things like eosinophilic esophagitis, which is a food allergy or reaction in the esophagus or first part of the food tube condition called celiac disease, where people's immune system is reacting to wheat and wheat products. That's mostly in the small intestine. And then conditions called inflammatory bowel disease, where there's inflammation actually throughout the body. So with Crohn's disease and something called ulcerative colitis that is mostly in the colon. And then also liver conditions as well. So children can have liver conditions. And some of those, the liver tracts and so forth, what are called the bile tracts at times when they're very little, may not develop properly. And sometimes they can have autoimmune conditions that actually are in the liver as well. So that's one of the opportunities for us is that there is a variety of different things that we treat. And often it is over a long term for some of the more chronic uh, conditions. In 2012, as Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando was about to open its doors, Dr. Franciosi made the move from Cincinnati Children's Hospital to Florida. Why, you may ask? Really, the people, so the people that uh, recruited me at the time I knew actually from training at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and then some actually from Cincinnati. And it was really the opportunity to launch a brand new hospital. So when I was interviewing here, they were literally putting in the floors. I'll never forget that when my daughter, who's now 16, you know, when we first came, we were looking over the Lake Nona campus and it was barren, right? I mean, there were cattle outside and so forth. And so my daughter, when we came into the hospital, she was looking out over the cattle and she said, oh, there's there's cows out there. And she thought about it. She's much younger. And she said, oh, yeah, that's very smart. So so you go out there every morning and you you milk the cows and you bring them into the hospital and you feed the babies. And I was like, Emily, that is exactly what we do. <laughs> you know, it's just such a precious story. <laughs> and um, so, so, yes, they are still there, but they have less and less space to be accommodated. It's still large. But, you know, as we turn around, the campus is really growing and developing. And this vision of what would grow and develop, and you've even seen that over this period of time since 2012. So that was a significant opportunity for us. And then I think uh, the Nemours environment, really talking about patient and family-centered care is so important. I mean, I think that is what really differentiates pediatric healthcare in terms of really making sure that we're mindful with the two patients or three patients that we have at times. You have the actual child themselves and then the parents. And so those were just fantastic opportunities to be able to launch and develop a brand new hospital. I mean, our first patient came through the door, as you mentioned, in 2012. We greeted them with a whole line of silly string uh, at the time and, you know, a huge celebration. One of the first Nemours galas was actually on the Lake Nona campus area. And there was a lot of enthusiasm for bringing high-level academic health care to Central Florida. High-level expertise in any number of chronic GI issues, including EOE. EOE is the short version, and, and that's what people should go with. The longer version of that is eosinophilic esophagitis. That's a mouthful for sure. And the eosinophilic really points to the type of inflammation 
that occurs in the first part of the food tube or esophagus. And so the eosinophils are typically what are felt to be allergic cells where uh, your body can react to certain things. And typically these are food reactions and sometimes environmental reactions as well. In terms of the number of patients that are out there with this chronic condition, it's uh, one in a few thousand, but but definitely you know increasing over time. The challenge sometimes for these conditions is that you don't really know that someone has this until they see a GI doctor, and then we do something called an endoscopy to look on the inside. So that's the camera that basically uh, people go to sleep for, and then we uh, go from the mouth and then down the back of the throat and then into the first part of the food tube and sometimes elsewhere as well. But for this, really, the first part of the food tube. And so you actually have to not only have the symptoms, but it has to be recognized as concerning You have to see your doctor. Your doctor has to refer you to a GI doctor, and the GI doctor has to make the decision to do the camera study. So in all of those steps, there can be challenges with recognition. So we definitely feel that with EOE that it is likely much more common than we appreciate because some people may be lost in all of that. As it happened for the Moore family, Charlie, who's now 12, was diagnosed with EOE before his older brother. Charlie uh, was actually one of my patients up at Cincinnati, and I, I still remember that. I mean, he was so much younger and just really full of life and was having challenges with eating and feeding and th- things like that. And for the younger kids, that's often how they can present with kind of, you know, swallowing food, but even really being interested in food. Because when kids are little, you know, they don't want to eat because it hurts and they can't really tell you that, right? They're just like, they, they don't want to uh, take in the food and so forth. For Will, Will has has definitely has even what are called anaphylactic food reactions. So that's not, it's certainly not every child or, you know, teen that has EOE has anaphylactic reactions, but, but Will's story has been more in terms of severe food reactions. And there are definitely patients that have allergic kind of diseases, food reactions, asthma, eczema, and so forth, that can be more commonly associated with EOE. So in terms of how kids present, they really can present in a full spectrum. And, you know, some kids do present a little bit later in their teenage years. So what treatments are available for Will and Shirley Moore and other kids with EOE? Dr. Franciosi. The good news is, is that there's a lot of research going into this, you know, and that at every one of the scientific meetings, there are new drugs that are being considered and, and undergoing clinical trials and so forth. Traditionally, eosinophilic esophagitis was way back when, in the 1980s, was felt to be, oh, this is reflux. This is gastroesophageal reflux or GERD and treated with acid-blocking medicine. And as this evolves over the, the next few decades, people really appreciated that there is more of a reaction with foods. And so there came the elimination of various foods and so forth. And then, and then after that, people started talking about asthma of the esophagus and that maybe we can use some of the drugs that we use for asthma to coat the esophagus and reduce the inflammation. So with that said, there are several options in terms of treatment. So dietary elimination is certainly something that I'm a big proponent of. And so whether or not people eliminate a dairy only maybe works in about 30 to 50% of patients just eliminating dairy. And then if people talk about four food elimination, they talk about dairy, wheat, egg, and soy, maybe about two thirds of patients respond to that. And then there are even extremes where people just, you know, have what's called elemental formula and 
And so 90 to 95% of patients respond to that. And so I mentioned that because that's really how things were felt to be. Yes, this is a food reaction or allergy because that's what was done over the past few decades. As we've come to understand the condition a bit more, doing dietary elimination can be very effective and it's an, an investment up front. But sometimes you have to balance quality of life with the treatments that you're using. So when you start to get beyond, you know, even a four food elimination, you really have to think of, is that beneficial? Is the child growing? You know, how are we impacting their quality of life? So then two more standard conditions and treatments for the condition would be traditionally the swallowed steroid medicines. So fluticasone or the puffer. Uh, that people use for asthma, that first evolved for EOE as a puff and then swallow. So it actually go and coat your food tube, puff and swallow, and not really having anything to eat or drink for, you know, about 45 minutes afterwards so that it stays there. And then another one that's called budesonide. And so for asthma, people have that, you know, in a nebulizer machine where it goes in their lungs. For uh, EOE, we actually mix that with certain things and it coats their esophagus. The steroid medications can be very effective, especially the budesonide medicine in particular. But then, you know, people have thought about, you know, okay, so this is typically a lifelong chronic condition. So the benefit of doing the diet is, is that it's an investment up front, but you're not talking about long-term medicines. The benefit of the medicines is, is that, you know, you may not have the quality of life issues that you could have with the diet elimination. In terms of uh, the swallowed steroid medicines, people have looked again at a very common medication, what are called proton pump inhibitors. This is the omeprazoles, the esomeprazoles, lansoprazole. This is the purple pill that, or, you know, that's running around the, the uh, TV all the time. And, and so these medicines have been looked at for EOE and really have come into more common use in terms of using high dose PPI medication. And so that is an option. So we talked about diet, we talked about the swallowed steroid medicines, and then we talked about these proton pump inhibitors. There are biologic drugs that are coming and that are being evaluated and so forth. At present, as of today, you know, February 4th of 2022, there is actually not an FDA-approved medication for EOE. And so that's something that people have been working very hard with the FDA to sort out. But so some of these uh, what are called biologic drugs that tend to alter your immune response to various conditions are in development and are working on. So, so those are kind of the, the main medical treatment options. Sometimes less commonly in kids, but definitely happens and more common in teens and then in adults, sometimes your esophagus gets so swollen or inflamed that it kinks or narrows. So you get a stricture. So literally the food can't pass down. It, it gets stuck. And so sometimes people can present, you know, as having a food impaction where, you know, they were eating a, a bunch of steak and all of a sudden it gets stuck and and the GI doctor has to go in and take that out with the procedure. But sometimes there can be a stricture or, or a narrowing there that has to be stretched or dilated. So sometimes with endoscopy, we use that as a therapy too to make the esophagus bigger. And so that, that can be treatment option as well. But Dr. Franciosi notes, there is more that can be done and is being done to bring to fruition new and better treatments, including research that he and his team are doing associated with EOE and other chronic GI issues. In terms of for eosinophilic esophagitis, so 
One of the hot topics in medicine is about personalized medicine. So for you, Carol, like what, how should we treat you in particular related to uh, your body and its makeup, so your genes? And so this is what's called personalized or precision medicine. And so what we've been doing is looking at the PPI medications and asking, okay, who responds and who doesn't respond? And there are certain groups even throughout the world that have higher response rates than others. And so sometimes it's a dose response, you know, more drug, better response. But sometimes it also is related to the genes that you have. So we've found several genes, one around the proton pump inhibitors, where, as I like to say, it's kind of like the three little bears. You can either have, you know, an enzyme that's too big too small or just right. And what I mean by that is, is that sometimes people can rapidly break down the drug and you don't have enough drug in your body. So the inflammation is too much. Sometimes you can not break down things as well and you have too much of the drug in your body. And so there's been a lot of talk about side effects and things like that. So the precision medicine is based on your genotype. And the one I'm talking about here is what's called CYP2C19. So based on your genotype, can we offer medicines that will be more tailored to you that have the benefit of working, you know, so how effective they are and lessen the side effects? And, and so what we know is that CYP2C19 is definitely not the whole story. We've published on another one uh, called STAT6. And so this alphabet soup of genes has more components to it. And so we're actively working to figure out what are those and then how do we use that to help guide therapy? And so I, I'm very excited about that opportunity for precision medicine. The other thing that we've done in terms of technology is there's another device called an endoflip that basically measures how stretchy or desensible the esophagus is. So that with EOE, you can have inflammation on the top or the mucosa, so the lining of the esophagus. But sometimes that inflammation can cause the food tube to be really stiff and not stretch. And that's where food and other things can get stuck. So this endoflip actually looks at the stretchiness or distensibility of the esophagus. And sometimes, you know, if someone does not have an esophagus that distends very well, sometimes that may be a better use of the steroid medications, you know, compared to other treatments. The other thing that we're doing is, is you know, at present, the main way to diagnose and manage the condition is by actually doing a camera study. So people go to sleep, we take a look at their food tube, and you know there are definitely have been some patients that have had many endoscopies. And you really ask the question in this condition, can we do this better? Is, is there a better opportunity for us to evaluate how effective the GI tract is doing? And so some people are continuing to work on less invasive approaches for that. The thing that we're doing here is what's called transnasal esophagoscopy. So that's a long word. And that basically means that the endoscope goes in the nose and then back of the throat and into the esophagus. So we do that actually while kids are awake, if you can believe that. They actually just have numbing medication in their mouth and nose and there's no IV. So the procedure itself takes less than 10 minutes. And we've done about 70 of them here and uh, we're continuing to grow that area. And so Typically, this is not something, you know, for the initial diagnosis, but let's say that as an example, you went on a four-food elimination diet and that worked, then we can add back in different foods and then do the TNE procedure to see whether or not things worked. Or 
we start you on a medicine and the medicine, you take a look and either the medicine works or doesn't uh, in follow-up. And sometimes we need to go down on the medicine and so forth. So the T&E procedure is a really exciting opportunity, you know, to look at things without the use of general anesthesia, without the IVs. And that's something that we're, you know, excited, excited to bring to Central Florida. I believe we're still the only center in this in the Southeast that does that. And we continue to, to look forward to advances. And so we're going to be integrating that into our research efforts, thinking about, again, why do people respond to drugs or not? You know, and so our overarching vision for our research is, can we find the right drug for the right patient at the right dose? That's really an opportunity for us. And Nemours Children's Health System has a wonderful pharmacogenomics center. My colleague, Dr. Ed Muji in Jacksonville has just been fantastic in the collaborations. We've had an opportunity to publish, to acquire funding, to be able to do our research and to really be able to move the field forward. And so we look forward to more cross-campus collaborations. I have the opportunity to be on a, a national a special interest group for physicians that are interested in eosinophilic GI disease. We continue to move these things forward. Gastroesophageal reflux is very common. We've done research on precision medicine and the PPI medicines for gastroesophageal reflux. Sometimes babies, the food tube and the airway are not formed correctly. So they get all mixed up. And so there's something called a tracheoesophageal fistula, where there's actually a connection of the two that shouldn't be there. And so our wonderful uh, pediatric surgical team can go in and fix that. But sometimes they need continuing monitoring that we need to stretch, you know, where areas are narrowed and so forth. We have a wonderful collaboration with our ear, nose, and throat doctors and pulmonary doctors and what's called aerodigestive. And that's another long word to say airway and breathing problems and swallowing problems combined with the GI tract. And that's actually not an uncommon thing, you know, to sort out why that's happening and how can we make kids better. So that's a wonderful collaboration that we have. We mentioned, talked about EOE, celiac disease. And then from there, in terms of inflammatory bowel disease, so again, talking about Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So Crohn's disease is kind of the, the possibility of having inflammation in the food tube really from the mouth to the bottom and scattered in between and so forth. Ulcerative colitis is really talking about the colon. And so we have a Center for Inflammatory Bowel Disease. We have uh, really wonderful physicians and people leading those efforts. And then, you know, sometimes kids actually don't respond to the medicines. So what do you do when that happens? Sometimes surgery is needed. Actually, believe it or not, sometimes kids actually need their colon removed and for inflammatory bowel disease. And so we have wonderful surgeons here that are able to perform that. And, and actually, we have a new technology that our surgeons have experience in using as a robot. So believe it or not, there is a what's called robotic surgery, where the actual surgeon is kind of uh, in the room, but navigating the robot, you know, to, to do the operation. And, you know, it, it has been felt that some of those, you know, outcomes of the procedure are better, you know, right? Because the, the ro little robot hands are, are smaller than ours, right? It's a little bit more precise. And, you know, can you cut more out of the colon than you typically would? Or, you know, those types of things um, are really opportunities. And so that's something that uh, we've brought to Central Florida that again, I, I believe is a unique thing for pediatric uh, GI care, you know, GI and GI surgery care, and also collaborations with our wonderful urology colleagues when looking at bowel and bladder dysfunction. So they call that 
bowel and bladder dysfunction or BBD. I like to think of it as BB-8, but that that type of area that there's a lot of synergy. You know, sometimes things either don't form correctly down there or don't work correctly. And then sometimes babies can be born with problems that either they have an infection called necrotizing enterocolitis, the intestines don't form correctly called gastroschisis or what's called an emphalocele. You know, all of these different medical terms to say there is a problem and the surgeons need to go in and help fix that. And then our role as the GI doctors is to how can we fine tune to keep that better? Because they often can have chronic conditions with feeding and nutrition and the movement of the GI tract. And so we have wonderful programs looking at the motility or movement of the GI tract as well. And we also have programs looking at feeding conditions. You know, as I mentioned, you know, you mentioned about Charlie with EOE. Sometimes kids, you know, they they don't eat as much as we would like. And so that's something that we also offer. Dr. Franciosi's passion for his work is evident and maybe even contagious. After all, Will Moore plans on majoring in biology on a pre-med track when he enters college this fall, influenced by his battle with EOE and two very important people in his life. His mom, Laura, herself a nurse practitioner, and Dr. James Franciosi. Which begs the question, who inspired Dr. Franciosi's medical career? Definitely my father, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I think as a little bit of a rebellious uh, teenager, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Nope, it's definitely not for me. And then as I uh, came into college and, and so forth, I really started to look around and really became inspired by what my father has done. And you know, the environment of being there to really help patients and families. I mean, it it really is a blessing for what we're able to do. I mean, some days are harder than others, right? But at the end of the day, you know, you can really turn around and say, yeah, I think I I helped someone make a difference in their life. Dr. James Franchosi is the Division Chief for Pediatric Gastroenterology at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. Learn more about the Moore family and what they're doing to help Nemours researchers find better treatments and maybe even a cure for EOE by listening to Episode 118 of this podcast, our Thanksgiving edition, entitled Food and Gratitude. We'll put a link to that episode in the show notes for this one. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast features the stories of associates just like you. And your story can be part of the podcast. Just email your ideas to podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Our production team this week includes Peter Adebi, Allison Kraft, and Deborah Griffin. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. The podcast is available on Nemoursnet and the Nemours Now app, along with your favorite podcast app, and your smart speaker. On behalf of Dr. James Franchosi and Laura and Will Moore, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve.